Hello and welcome to Get Object number two. This is a podcast about things in games. I'm Rosie and I'm joined by my co-host Paul. Hello. And today we are going to be talking about maps. But first up, some chat. Paul, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I've uh, I've uh, I've been playing um, a game recently with a map in it, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Fantastic. Um, do you have any interest in Star Wars stuff? Right, not massively. No. I mean, it's, <laughs> okay. it's been very, very much around. Like all the guys who I make the um, Diane podcast with are all obviously completely obsessed with it. Um, okay. But yeah, I've I've seen um, like a couple of Star Wars films, um, okay. but people are often shocked by how little. Um, yeah. But you like Star Wars? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not like uh, I'm not like a mad Star Wars mm. fan or anything. I like Star Wars well enough. Like, yeah, it's yeah. okay. It's a good um, time. Not, yeah, I, I enjoy it, and I like I I actually I feel like my uh, interest in Star Wars cu- comes actually a lot through games. Like right. there was the the Dark Forces games, like Dark Forces Two, uh, Jedi Knight. Um, I, don't I don't know, know them at remember. all. It was like a first person shooter, but also had lightsabers in it, and you could depending on how much of a bastard you were at like halfway through the game, it would the t- story would change to you either being like a dark side Jedi or a light side Jedi. It had like FM, you know, FMV live action cutscenes and stuff. This all sounds very was cool. Fun. When was that out? Oh man, uh, this is the nineties. Oh wow, <laughs> I don't, okay, I don't cool. Know how how? Yeah, maybe maybe mid to late nineties or something. Mid mid nineties, I feel like something right. like that. Yeah, FMV yeah. is often, I guess. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I've been playing um, Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, is that the Soulsy one? Yes, it okay. is. It is very much an attempt to do the the Dark Souls thing. Um, I suspect there's the since Sekiro came out, they're trying to move a bit towards that because obviously the lightsaber thing would work very nicely with that. Mm. So yeah, it's got what basically bonfires where enemies respawn and stuff like that. It's not as good <laughs> as Dark Souls, like <laughs> nowhere near as good as Dark Souls. And I think if you me having played Sekiro as well, like this year, it um, really doesn't hold up well after you've been playing that. It's like, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, uh, but yeah, it does have a nice little 3D map that your droid um, like beams out and it's kind of a, yeah, you, you can like move it up or down and like spin it around. Oh, that um, sounds quite fun. Yeah. So it's a decent little map, but yeah, it's just, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think that's the thing with um Souls likes is they're often like aggressively fine. Um, and I will yeah. probably play the Star Wars one because I do. I yeah, I'm, I'm very into that style of gameplay, obviously. Um, but but I also I, I also like playing it. I, I I think I would think I'm quite bad at it if I hadn't. So. Uh, this, this is going to sound arrogant now, but like, <laughs> so I played Sekiro and finished Sekiro, so I must be okay You're, at playing yeah. because because it's it's hard. Like I'm not saying I'm good at games, but this I feel <laughs> like I'm forfend. a bit rubbish. I think this I think I'm a bit rubbish at, right? And because I've played Sekiro, I feel I can say that's not just me. Yeah, it's just not as well designed as like Souls games, where it, I got my ass kicked in those games as well. But I could clearly tell what mistake I was making, where sometimes in this, I was just like, oh, that's bullshit. Right. That's complete bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Have you been playing anything fun? Um, yes, I have. I have. I've um, Christmas is coming up, so I've got my Christmas game already um, okay. that I will be playing, and that is um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which okay. I am hugely, hugely enjoying. Um, I haven't... I don't know if you've played the Assassin's Creed series. Yeah, I played sort of two three and then yeah, a couple of others and then kind of got bored of it so i haven't played it i haven't played any of the it got to be quite oh this again i i hate the um map thing where you open a map and it's just covered in shit and it's like <laughs> oh i'm bothered uh yeah the kind of ubisoft style sort of open world um yeah item chasing. i really li- i really like two but um and the others are okay but uh, yeah, I mean, I quite like that's those styles of games. There are like six million of them. Obviously, there's there's thousands and thousands of um, Assassin's Creed games alone, I believe. 
Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I haven't actually played any of the series since three, I think. I played one, two and three. Um, oh, so you've had a nice break to refresh. Big old break, yes. And then I've come back and had my mind absolutely blown um, because it's it's fantastic. I'm really, really enjoying um, Odyssey. I'm playing a big, um, buff, angry Greek lady, which is just huge amounts of fun. Um, I One thing I would say about the Assassin's Creed series is, um, which is maybe interesting for our kind of theme of objects, is that the kind of history that I really am interested in is kind of everyday life history. And it's actually quite difficult to find sources about that. You know, books will tell generally sort of historical books will generally sort of tell you about events and generals and what they did and and wars and empires and all of this stuff. But, um, you know, kind of what people's houses would have looked like, how a village would have been laid out, Mm. uh, what people would have worn, you know, stuff like that. It's kind of stuff that I'm super interested in. And I think it's like... Uh, the Assassin's Creed series is actually a fantastic way in. I think video games in general are a fantastic way into sort of um, the material conditions of like uh, an actual society in some ways. So yeah, well they 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 employ historians and stuff. So exactly, they do, do that stuff well, definitely. Yeah, and so that's been really fun. So I've actually been listening to like a history audiobook about um, ancient Greece and being able to like run around and actually see just something of like how the landscape would have looked and stuff like that is like really grounding and nice. Oh, that's cool. It's been great. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And I I want to say as well, I've also been playing um, Children of Mortar, which is fantastic. And I would. It's, um, I think it came out this year. It's only recently been released on PlayStation, which is where I've been playing it. And it's kind of like a dungeon crawler. Um, it's by the developer Dead Mage. And um, you play a family of heroes who have to go around a dungeon, sort of uh, clearing it out, trying to purify the corruption that has taken Mount Mortar, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it has this lovely kind of um, cyber um nouveau-ish kind of vibe um it's 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 lovely to play i'm really enjoying the interiors of the uh of the bergson family which is the family that you play and i'm actually making again perhaps relevant to our interests i'm so in i'm so into the like soft furnishings in the bergson home it's like covered in lovely rugs and stuff i'm actually uh i i crochet um obsessively as a hobby Okay. And I'm um, I'm making a cushion based on one of the rugs in the Bergson's <laughs> oh, nice. house. Yes, so I will get that up on our Twitter. And um, if you'd like to see an object based on, <laughs> yeah, interpreting uh, the lovely design of Children of Mortar, I will try and get that up on our Twitter. And it will be up. What is it? Get object pod. Get object uh, pod. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as it's done, I'll get a picture up. Cool. Sounds nice. I've definitely heard that name before, so I'm, I must have seen it an image of it somewhere or something but it's really striking yeah I, I would really recommend it I'm, I'm having a lot of fun and we're playing it um two player me and my boyfriend and that's nice as well there's not very there's not a lot of good couch co-op games mm. just in general um so i'm yeah we're, we're having a lot of fun just for that reason cool so shall we uh get on to our subject for this episode yes our theme today is maps mm-hmm. how do you feel about maps in general paul um maps are good i mean it it, dep- <laughs> it depends um i guess it depends on uh the type of game that you're i mean some some games just need maps right it's not mm. even a case of whether they you like them or not it's like a necessary thing to have um well you were saying that you're so not so into the uh the ubisoft style like here's a huge map and it's it's absolutely full of crap I quite like that. Um, okay. I'm always excited to see maps. I like I like to open a book and see a map. That's like, that's a very exciting thing. I think it's a fantasy thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, to me, the, the, the map is more, it's probably more interesting if it's got less stuff on it because you can see the places. So, so when I think of a map, I think there's, it brings to mind 
doesn't immediately bring to mind the boring use of a map where we use a map just the, I, I think of like a, a sense of adventure like you have a map because you need to go on a big journey somewhere yeah. so yeah, it immediately yeah. evokes that sense of um not not to turn to this podcast into Paul reminiscing about stuff when he was a kid which I also <laughs> did in the last episode but again this reminded me of something I've forgotten where I went for a phase of making like maps and uh and uh, I became obsessed with, like, you know, like, tea staining them and stuff. Yes. And, like, tearing up so they look old. Yeah. You know, like, treasure maps and stuff like that. So... That's so cool. Was that just um, places from your imagination? Or was it, like, around you? I can't really remember. I just remember, like, making the maps brown and, like, tearing the <laughs> edges. I think I maybe did, like, documents and stuff. as well. I, I don't know. It was just, like, a short phase, I think. This sounds I very cool. constantly asking for tea to like <laughs> <laughs> I mean but it's like what we were saying last week isn't it is that like similarly uh, similar similarly with um keys is that you know they're both like these tremendously mundane things but they can be charged with just all this excitement particularly when you're a kid I think you know and the sort of the sort of magical qualities of them are, are really what you're interacting with because you don't need to figure out how to get to Sainsbury's or whatever, you know, that's not really your responsibility. So maps can just be this exciting treasure map kind of thing. I was thinking about um, maps in general. Um, I always go and like read up and see sort of what the vibe is in anthropology, what the kind of things people have been saying about them. Um, maps are really important in anthropology because the way, what kind of distinguishes anthropologists is that uh, we do field work. So you go to a place and you study mm -hmm. a culture there. Um, and so maps are often, when you open up a book of ethnography, which is the kind of the anthropologist writing up everything they've learned, um, it will start with a map very often, which will show where they did their work. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so maps have been... Big part of the discipline, obviously the early discipline kind of very implicated in colonialism and stuff. Um, and, you know, the kind of administration of power in particular areas. Anthropologists were often working for colonial authorities. Um, so in recent years, anthropologists have tend to become a lot more critical about these kinds of things and try to think through the kind of implications. And the way that maps are sort of bound up with power I, uh, has become like mm. this huge area of interest. So I had a look at a uh, chapter by Dennis Wood. It's from 2012. You can actually get it online called The Anthropology of Cartography. Uh, and mm -hmm. that was really, really interesting. The main point he made was that maps, he was very, very upset <laughs> and motivated to overturn the idea that maps are representing the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, that they merely represent something that actually exists. The point that he was making um, and stressing throughout is that maps are made to do things. Um, and often they're sort of representing a world that may not exist or it's just a vision. It's a particular vision of the world. So he talks about, um, he mentions that at the turn of the 19th century, maps of Martian canals were taken as seriously as we once took Colin Powell's annotated air photos of Iraq's weapons of mass destruction. Both of those things are maps of things that didn't actually turn to exist. The uh, the Martian canals yeah. were scratches on people's telescopes. Um, and obviously <laughs> the weapons of mass destruction were not in the places where Colin Powell or indeed anywhere, yeah. any, places. <laughs> any places at all. But those maps, you know, they were doing things, I mean, particularly the latter, that map, um, those maps were, were used to generate or, or world build a vision of the world in which uh, particular actions were necessary and would be taken. Mm. Even, even, even like the uh, kind of the foundation of uh, like nations, like the idea of nationhood relies on map, like if you think of, um, yeah, pre-nations people territory people didn't necessarily think of uh, yeah. of land as, as having these because because ba boundaries on maps are completely uh, okay apart from like rivers and like mountain ranges and things but boundaries sure. are completely fictional constructs they literally they literally don't exist they only exist as a as a fantasy that we all agree to abide by um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, completely. They, they, they kind of exist as a, as a kind of operation of power. Yes. And as you say, a fantasy we agree to buy, abide by. And when people live as if the map is real, the map, then, you know, that lends its own reality to that sort of situation. Um, 
so so basically the the thing it came to was that if you want to know about a how a particular state or a particular interest group want the world to be want it to look like look at the maps that they produce um and and immediately coming to mind of course is like google maps the fact mm. that Google actually send out cartographers, you know, they send out their cars and are out there trying to get the whole world mapped. That's something that, um, you know, empires do. That's that's the, the, the scale of Google's ambition there. You know, they're trying to become completely omnipresent. Um, and so getting into the map business is uh, is a kind of quite clear statement of that. There hasn't there hasn't there been as well, like um, countries lobbying Google to. Yes. Ch- yeah. Yeah. To change that shows, that shows exactly what you're talking about, like the importance of because yeah, you need you. It's not that the the territory or the boundary exists and then you draw it in a map. Yes, you draw it in the map and then you inf- try and enforce it to make it real to make it exist yeah Yeah. absolutely that's that's kind of the order it goes round in um and then i was the other so i was like okay so what other tech company might have made a map um facebook have made a map um there's a picture of um uh, you can probably find it online if you search like facebook map there was a there was a speech they gave or mark zuckerberg gave in 2012 um at some you know conference where he's striding around in front of this map that Facebook have produced of the world and it's uh, it's actually quite a beautiful image it's um it's it's kind of the globe without any borders without any state lines on it whatsoever um and the world is kind of uh, dark blue and then the points where people have Facebook profiles and the ways they're connected to each other are these kind of streaks of light Mm. Um, and it's kind of like webs of light lighting up the world. And, um, you know, I think that really sort of, again, shows us something, the scale of the ambition of this company. The fact that you've got a guy who literally chooses to wear his hair like Julius Caesar, striding yeah. around in front of a map in which his company is represented as as a light against darkness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's not really subtext at that point. It's it's, no. <laughs> it's kind of text. Yeah. Um so yeah, so there we go. So I think those of us without Facebook profiles, I think he would consider to be living in a dark age or <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was that was interesting. I tried to find a map produced by Disney because I wanted to know what their vision of the world looked like, but um, I well. couldn't. I couldn't find one. <laughs> I'm going to keep looking though because it's interesting. Well, those are some good map thoughts. I like those. Um, so maybe we let's let's start talking about some game maps then. Yes. Um, one of the one of the first things um, that came to my mind when I was thinking of maps and games was um physical maps like maps that aren't just in the game so this is this this started really really early on where you would not have to but you'd be advantaged by drawing your own maps for lots of games Mm. so this is really interesting to me because this is the the only example that came to my mind where a video game is generating an object in the real world like it's it's um, yeah producing a real object. Oh where, goodness, um, yeah. Yeah, so we then we we had to actually be cartographers and like map this world out, and then you'd have a, a physical thing. Um, maybe there'll be another object that does that as we work our way through uh, through the podcast, and we'll we'll think of something else. But this is the only thing I could think of where you end up with a real uh, map. I don't know if that's something you ever did. I don't think I. That's something I had the patience for when the age that I was at, when you had to do that kind of thing, I probably just got lost. I don't know if that was something you ever did, drawing maps and things. Uh, no, I'm aware of it as a thing that people talk about doing with much fondness, right? When they're like, yeah, oh yeah, 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 and I had to make a map for it. And I'm terrible with maps. I, I cannot like read or write maps particularly well whatsoever. So um, that would have been a, a absolutely fruitless waste of time and energy on my part um but yeah the paperbacks i mean it because it's dnd as well right like uh, so much of games has it's like roots and dungeons and dragons i think particularly obviously the games i like and um and yeah you do need to sit there and and draw out maps you know there's there's a good mechanical reason to do that just so you can keep on top of the world really Mm. yeah 
So the, the the other aspect of this that was I thought of was games that come with maps. Mm. Um, so the Grand Theft Auto games. I don't know when that started. I f- I feel like I feel like maybe Grand Theft Auto Three had the map with it. I don't know if the previous ones did, like the original Grand Theft Autos. I don't know. I've got no but, idea. Yeah, I, I think yeah. San Andreas did it. Did it? So, San, I'm almost, I'm almost certain San Andreas did it, and I'm almost certain I had a GTA Three map. Right, I may okay. be misremembering, but mm. in any case, that's something that's that exists. Red Dead Redemption Two definitely comes with a map, probably mm. the first one as well, um, and I. Uh, I think some of the Skyrim games do. Yes, I mean my first one that I instantly comes to mind for me is um is is Morrowind, uh, which had a map that was actually quite useful. Like you kind of needed it, um, mm-hmm. because figuring out because the map that was in game on like when you press the start or whatever, uh, was not very helpful or good. Um, okay. and, a, and a big part of Morrowind was trying to figure out how to get around on the transport networks. And so you actually kind of needed the map so you knew, like, when you went up to the boat and said, I want to go to this town, you kind of knew what direction you were heading off in. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I played Morrowind, whenever, sort of 2003, I actually had the map stuck to my wall for quite like a period of time in my bedroom because it was really useful and it was a nice map. Yeah. See, I, d- I never really used those maps for some reason. Uh, I just probably too lazy to put them up on the wall. Which probably is <laughs> yeah. But I will say I did. I on that I did because um, I I did go into a couple of uh, discords and ask people about maps mm. that they found interesting. I went to the No Cartridge Discord and the Range Touch Discord, and somebody there, uh, Hunter X Hunter Biden, mm. did mention the. Morrowind map as well actually and nice. apparently there were caves that like you could see caves on the map so they would like look at the map and think oh here's some so yeah that's kind of a cool thing is normally normally when you in-game maps are normally like focused on the area that you're in mm-hmm. like the, the so you don't normally look at the map as a whole and that's a nice thing to be able to look at the map as a whole and say oh there's something here that looks interesting I'm going to go there and um find that thing and that's kind of the adventure thing that we associate with maps that idea of doing that which doesn't always come through with the way they uh, appear in games i think yeah i mean absolutely that was that was very much the thing with morrowind it really did feel like this very exciting world of adventure uh that you would be able to journey into and um and that had some kind of reality to it and I think the, the map just did so much work there I'm not surprised other people sort of remember that one really fondly uh the other thing I found with um paper maps that I thought was really interesting was that I googled like video game maps and um one of the first results that came up was vgmaps.com which was founded in 2002 um it's a site by a guy called Jonathan Lung and um and it has maps they're not really maps maps that they're sort of you know i mean this is how he says the website got started was when you used to play uh we used to read magazines like nintendo power uh Mm -hmm. they would have um previews of particular games and they would have um the sort of screenshots of the entire game sort of laid out and he was saying you know you could use that as a strategy guide or if you didn't have the game you could just sit there and look at the kind of the layout and it would feel like kind of playing the game. Mm. I think that's actually how a lot of people remember sort of video game magazines in the 90s. It's like a way of playing games when you didn't have access to a lot of games. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, like you're kind of experiencing them in some way. Yes. Yeah. So uh, so Jonathan Lung was obviously like really into this and, and thought, you know, I'm going to start up a website and and. He would take um, screenshots of levels of like, you know, like 2D games, basically, um, and and has built up this incredible archive. It's still going. Um, I love these kind of very sort of personal passion project Internet websites, you know, that you get um, and, and other people submit maps to it. Um, it's very, very cool. I found a game, um, Alex Kidd in Miracle World. 
uh, which mm-hmm. I played when I was about eight. And I mm-hmm. remember being absolutely dreadful at it. And there was a particular place where I got stuck and I just couldn't continue. And I went back and looked on uh, vgmaps.com and could find it and I could find the levels. And it was very weird. It was like this very weird nostalgia trip of being like, oh, yeah, and there's the place where I got stuck. Um, and it was it was just super fun. And I want to give a big shout out to that to that website and to Will Malia, who put together the particular map for Alex Kidd, which was uh, really nice to revisit. Yeah, I um, hadn't heard of that until I, yeah, I saw it in your notes. Mm. And I actually had a look at it this morning. Um, yeah, it's a cool thing. It's very cool. Yeah, it's just like super weird and cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. So I guess we've already mentioned this a little bit, but um, about, you know, just how maps are sometimes a necessary thing. Yeah. And it feels like they've become more and more and more necessary because, as a general tendency, games have got a lot bigger. Mm. Um, and now we just need maps because the, the games are massive and it wouldn't, it'd be very difficult to navigate them otherwise. Yeah, completely unmanageable without them a lot of the time. I mean, I certainly find that with um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey because I was so aware of maps and map use while I was playing it this last week because I knew we'd be recording this. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm opening up the map every two minutes. You know, you, you do actually need it. So how do you... So along with this is is the kind of the mini-map. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm sure everyone knows what we're talking about. A little thing in the usually bottom right corner that you can use to kind of orientate, orient yourself that um, sh- kind of shows you running about from a top-down perspective um yeah how do you feel about those because (laughs) i was gonna ask you the same thing they're a poison chalice i think aren't they i don't know well i I, see i I, um this is something i I was thinking about was thought about quite uh, thinking about a long time ago about how i've got so used to just looking at the mini map and like not paying attention to what's around me and I, I just want to be clear I'm not saying that a, a mini map is inherently bad I'm just saying it's become such a it's just become such a common thing that it's assumed that what is what you should do and I don't think that's always um a good thing now I can't remember if Grand Theft Auto 3 had a mini map originally or not but regardless of whether it did I played it at a time where I wasn't accustomed to using mini maps and I remember that I knew, I knew the city, like I knew, I knew if I turned down the street, I would know where it would go. I would have, or even in like that vague way of like, you know, when you're navigating a real place and you're like, uh, I sort of know it's that way. And I kind of recognize that thing. So even if you don't know the exact way, you kind of can navigate yourself around. That's how I experienced that city. Like I played the game enough that I knew it and I learned it. Um, and now you just don't have the compulsion to do that. And I think that can like lessen your connection to a place because if you don't have the minimap, then you orientate yourself by like landmarks and uh, architecture and stuff like that. And the minimap stops. You're just literally staring at, you're just looking at a thing in the corner. You're not looking at like the place. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I remember um, a few years ago when Bloodborne came out, um, I think it was Kyle Bosman had a video about it. Um, he hadn't played any of the Souls game previously. And he um, mentioned that specifically. He said, you know, the fact that it has no map is a bit of a revelation because um, you're not looking at the map, you're looking at the world and you really feel like you're part of it. And that's like really key, obviously, to the soul's experience is getting to know the world. Um, and um, and yeah, you don't have that with the mini maps. So, I mean, the, the experiment I did along these lines because I felt the same thing is um, with The Witcher 3, which is my favorite video game i've played that video game all the way through three times um i know it's not a short (laughs) game either and i'm doing extensive playthroughs but um yeah i absolutely love it um and um but despite this despite having played hundreds of hours of this game since it was released um i still 
don't know my way around the big city, Novigrad. Mm. Um, if you drop me in the middle of Novigrad, I would have no idea how to get to, you know, the big square or how to get to the docks. I wouldn't really have a sense of where I was because of the minimap, because I am so used to kind of navigating that way. And so like for my most recent playthrough number four, I've tried turning off um, the minimap, which you can do. But because the game wasn't, I don't think, designed with um, those kinds of with being able to orient yourself in the real world, there, there aren't the kind of landmarks and stuff like that. So it is quite hard to play it without the minimap, but it does mean that you start to learn your way around, which I am now, which is very nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, consequently, actually, actually uh, I did recently uh, have an interview with someone from CD Projekt Red right. about Novigrad. Um, ah. And they did they did make some effort to make it navigable, right? Um, so they mentioned like the topography of it because you know it's like hilly. Yes. So part of the apparently part of the point of that is that you can like see. Ah. Uh, uh, yes, so, that makes sense but, but, actually. So you can see like the Temple Isle kind of is raised up at the back of the city. That does make sense to me. Yeah, but but still, I think you there's always they always. Game designers know they always have that fallback that the player has a mini map. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to. And yeah, I think it. Not to say that you can't still feel connected to a place, but I think, like you were saying about Dark Souls, really knowing a place and learning it like you do in real life, like part of what makes a town that you live in feel like your home is that you know how to get around of it and when i you know i think when a lot of the places you video game places you feel really connected to is because you know them like that and yeah yeah i think there's a tendency to move away from having to do that mm. no I do, I do think so and i think that's a yeah it is a bit of a shame as you say as worlds get huge but then it's like it's it feels like they kind of have to move in that direction to some extent when you're talking about a particular sphere of like triple a games because the size of the map is a selling point um the vastness of the game um and the size of the map is used as kind of shorthand for the ambitions of the game Mm -hmm. so you have um red dead redemption 2 of course is a fantastic example because it's just stupidly big (laughs) it's just like completely insane um how vast the map is for that game um but that is a selling point that is um that is something that they they want to be working on you know developers will always be saying oh it's going to be a bigger map than the last game you know the next elder scrolls is going to be four times the size of skyrim uh, and, and, this and, kind therefore, of thing. and therefore it will be four times better. Well, exactly. You know, but it does seem like there's a huge appetite. People yeah. want big, big, big maps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's like you say, it's like the, um, yeah, it's bigger. And therefore that's a signal about the technology allowing it to be bigger. And therefore it's a signal about the ambition. And therefore, but... yeah, I mean, if you like think about a company like um, a developer like Bioware, right? So they, you know, they're known for doing very sort of character focused kind of story games, which are, which are ostensibly about, um, you know, your relationships with a set of characters. And it would actually make a lot of sense for them to talk about, you know, we have the biggest cast of characters. We have the most, you know, that we've ever had before. But in, but actually, w- w- when you look at what they say about upcoming games, again, they will be deferring to the size of map. That is kind of what people want to hear as, as, as yeah, this is our ambition. Yes, because it's, it's also because it's easier to do because like you can, because um, every time, I'm sure this happens whenever there's like a new console and people developers will say stuff like oh we'll be able to like do more stuff with ai and uh more co- all this other stuff and then all that happens is they make the graphics better and make it bigger <laughs> because it's the easy because yeah. it's very difficult to describe what how an ai system is more complex and more compelling whereas to say this is twice as big that's yeah. immediately understandable yeah, so, it would take you three days in real life to walk across the game map. You yeah. know, people can like get their heads around that. Yeah. So yeah. Um. Again, like I think mini maps probably are a good idea in some cases, but it just, as I said, they've become a really common thing, and I think there's a lot of space to do other more interesting things. 
And again, as I mentioned, I asked some people about maps that they um, that they found interesting and they came up with a lot of stuff that I didn't know about and is really fascinating. I don't have much to say about them because I haven't played a lot of these games, but I think they're really cool examples right. of stuff you can do. So um, Puff Bloom from the Range Touch Discord mentioned Sunless Sea. Oh, yes, I've played that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, a game where you kind of uh, go around on a boat and I don't know. I don't really, I've played it a little for like an hour, but... Yeah, I was dreadful at it. I kept dying. But yeah, yeah you're hard. going around in a boat in a sort of underground um, sunless sea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's it's quite well written and stuff like that. Yeah, so you have to pin your own quest markers in that, like if mm-hmm. you want to go somewhere rather than uh, yeah, just going there, which is a, a cool little thing. Same in The Sinking City, apparently, which was right. mentioned by B. Taylor, which is a uh, like Lovecraft-style detective game, I think. All right, yeah. Um, Romination mentioned a map in Phantom Hourglass, uh, the Zelda game, that you allows you to make notes on it, which is That's a cool nice. thing, I think. Yeah. I like that. Um, a few examples from the survival genre. Um, Slasher Epoch from the Range Touch Discord mentioned The Long Dark, where uh, which is a survival game set in a kind of a uh, snowy environment mm. where you have to get charcoal from burnt out fires and then you can do like a sketch of your surroundings so the way i understand it is that it fills in if you do a sketch in the area it just fills in like that area so you have to like move you have to get a resource and move around and fill it in similarly b taylor again mentioned uh Maismata, which and you have to triangulate your position from other known landmarks to fill in the map um and also uh, Eidolon, which was mentioned by Jacob van, van Gunten, um, where you can find maps that are all drawn by other people. So they're, they're done in different styles. So some are sketched by hand. Some are like clearly official, right. like official maps, but none of the maps cover the entire space of the game and they don't tell you where you are within them. So you still so you have to use the map like you would a real map. You have to look at the map and try and find like a landmark or like a coastline and then work out where you are in relation to the map. And then you can orientate yourself based on that. Wow, goodness. I mean? Yeah, no, that sounds really cool. It makes me think of um, Firewatch where you use the map quite a lot. And I was just remembering like trying to orient yourself. Yeah. And just the absolute nightmare I had with Firewatch and the map in that, which is like, it is like your character has a paper map. Um, yeah, yeah. And then um, you have to like figure out with a compass what you're doing. And that's just like absolute hell to me. But um, but yeah, it does, <laughs> it does make you engage a bit more. Yeah, I want to I want to talk a bit more about Firewatch later, actually. Oh, but um, yeah, I thought those were all nice examples because those are all examples of the map. These are examples of when somebody has thought very carefully about how the map relates to the game that they're making because these yes. are all survival games and these are all... You're, you're having to find your own way in this um, in this place. You're having to potentially find resources. So it's a really nice way of linking... Instead of just doing the thing that everyone else does, it's a really nice way of like linking what the game experience is supposed to be to the map. Yeah. Um, Jay from Nowhere and Theory Known as Social Justice mentioned the Atreian Odyssey games, which are dungeon crawlers on the, on the uh, DS or 3DS. Uh, I haven't played them, but you draw the map on the lower screen of the of the uh, DS while you're exploring the dungeon, which oh, kind wow. of obviously harks back to those um, old maps that you would draw yourself. Um, so that's a cool idea. Also. This is very, very um, apropos of what we were talking about earlier. Um, Neo Atlas 1469, again mentioned by B. Taylor. Right. Um, by all accounts, not a very good game um, <laughs> from what I've heard. But very interesting idea. So it's a colonial uh, fantasy management sim kind of thing. Oh, and wow. You are, you are in Europe and you send people out and they come back with reports about what they've found. And then you decide whether you choose to believe what they said is correct or not and if you choose to believe it's correct and that becomes fact that becomes real so this is exactly what we were talking about at the beginning of how I think, yeah that sounds really cool 
It's a really cool idea, but apparently it's not a very good game. That's I've heard multiple shame. people say that, but it's a great idea. It's so really if you decide, use. yeah, you're like, yes, so there are actually dragons in that mountain. So like, you know, I mean, I, I doubt it's that. <laughs> I don't, I don't, but yeah, it's that type of thing. Or if you decide there is an island here or there's not an island here or these, yeah, you decide and then that becomes reality. So mm. that is a very interesting idea. And I think potential there for a very clever critique of the kind of colonial power we were talking about earlier yeah Although yeah it seems not done very well in reality but oh uh, well now loads of people mentioned thief 2 um circadian wolf slasher epoch turtle dove so their maps um are drawn by the main character garrett so yep. they've, they've done in his hand um have you played thief 2, by the way, i have not i okay, haven't I, I i gave it a go but i've played um i played three thief three um, which I think is not as wildly beloved as the first um, the first no. two, uh, but I enjoyed that one. I love all the games that where the developers have said they're inspired by Thief. So exactly, like, I definitely yes. would like it. But um, yeah, but anyway, the map. Um, so you, the people that were describing this to me explained that it feels like these is the maps drawn with information that he's gathered through like casing and bribing people for information because mm -hmm. they are often uh, incomplete they will have notes written in them like uh with like a question mark and then when you get into the place that might be wrong right so so uh, and they said there's a difference between like a map there's, there's a map of the training area at the beginning yeah. which is very detailed and full which makes sense because it's his training area and he knows and then other places are more vague and, like I say, have details that might be wrong, which is a really fascinating... We're not used to video games like doing that, like a map where something's wrong because yes. they're meant to be a functional thing. And again, this fits really, really nicely with the fiction and it's a really cool way of showcasing to you that you're going into a place that you're not supposed to be and that is hostile because you're not supposed to know what's in there. Um, Absolutely. So I love that. I think yeah. that's really cool. Uh, idea so yeah those were just some maps that I wanted to mention because I think that they show like we were saying so many games do the same things with maps and this shows that there's a lot of other things you can do I think yeah yeah no absolutely like there's actually like a huge huge space to use maps in an imaginative way Okay, so um, we kind of touched on it just then, but the uh, other thing we were interested in and that came up in both of our notes was um, diegetic maps. So maps that exist in the world of the game. Yeah, I think they're, although often um, they may effectively be the same thing as a mini map, I think the difference is worthwhile because we... I used to, it, we all know, we've all used a map at some point to navigate a real place. And just that act of looking at a map that exists in the game and then trying to apply that to where you are, I think does something. I think there's something powerful in it. I think it helps, yeah, create that connection and make it feel like you're exploring to me. Yeah, and it also makes it feel like the world has its own character and its own sense of itself yeah. i mean because that's kind of what we were saying earlier about maps wasn't it is that they they are a world trying to sort of express themselves and i was thinking of examples of diegetic maps like um in the ones particularly in dishonored really sprung to mind um which is obviously a world that's a sort of um it's a very sort of Victorian style, sort of colonial powers kind of world. Yeah. Um, and there's maps within that world that you can see kind of laid about in various places that kind of express this sort of aesthetic um, where it's like, you know, you have um, particular um, sort of seats of power that are connected to each other through shipping lanes. And these are like, this is what the map shows. Um, and they have all the little, they have little bits at the bottom. Um, there was one map I found in particular that had like uh, the little stamp of the cartographers, uh, Dunwall cartography. And Dunwall mm. is like the seat of power in the empire. So it is like maps, you know, coming out of London, basically showing the empire. And it, it very much kind of expresses that, I thought, very sort of neatly. Um, and then I thought about the way that that contrasts with like the sketch maps that you get in Red Dead Redemption 2. 
uh, where um, your character is having to like find things based on this very tenuous kind of little bits of knowledge that humans are sort of uh, or have kind of eked out on the frontier and and you know he's relying on little sketches made by people who came before and in vast contrast with dishonored you know it's it's just like um people you know the presence uh human society's presence i guess or the society that our character is part of being very kind of tenuous and fragile and and personal yeah that's really nice yeah i i think yeah they they do so they they have having the aesthetic continuity with mm. the world is a nice thing yes but like what you've i think really and what, what you've said there like the way we've talked about how m- maps show you something about how the people have a sense of themselves so yeah i think like you say that's a really useful way of um getting a sense of the world yeah yeah definitely. i think it can work really well so uh, somebody I had a brief go on this after somebody mentioned it to me uh again this was rumination that, that sea of thieves has a map that you can a diegetic map which is um if anyone doesn't know is like a, a multiplayer pirate game where you can <laughs> yes. head off with sort of four other people on a pirate ship but you can you can hold the map up so you can uh it's just like a fun one because you can run up to people and like show them your map and uh yeah I, oh that's that quite fun, fun isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. So, and also there's a there's a big map in the um i don't know my ship terminology is not very good in the bit <laughs> in the room in the ship i don't know in the there's, room there's in a, the ship there's a big map and okay. you can somebody can be at the map and then because the idea of um sea of thieves is it's like collaborative to do mm. the ship so someone's got to put the sails up and someone's got to steer so you can be at the map shouting directions to like the person that's steering so I thought that again was a nice way that the map is related to the experience that the game's trying to create because it is a cooperative thing that you have to you know show it to people or yes. tell people where to go to navigate. So that's cool. That seems lovely. Fallout New Vegas map was one that immediately came to mind for me. One that I like. The it's under yeah. cause it's on the Pip Boy, which is the oh, the, the thing that you have on your arm in Fallout games to um, uh, do the uh, what's the combat called uh vats yeah vats that's it the vat system where you kind of stop time and pick a limb that you want to mm. attack and it's got a percentage chance or whatever but that's basically that's your menu system and again this is effectively the same as pressing start and going to a pause menu but the the, the act of lifting up your arm to look at the pit boy the fact that it's in the aesthetic of the world yes adds something for me um and it feels like navigating like walking around bringing up looking right where am i putting it down again um i like that i think it's cool and it's kind of the the map's a little bit abstract um but also very clear mm. and it it fits like i said it fits with the style i like that one um loads of loads and loads of people mentioned the far cry 2 map for me again uh so rumination john ironicus michael h Enterim, Sarcastic Receiver, loads of people. So again, this is a game that I haven't played, but loads of games that I like are inspired by and sounds very, very interesting. Uh, have right. you played Far Cry 2? Or... No, I've played um, I've played Far Cry 3, Same I believe. Me, yeah. 3 and right, 4 yeah. I've played, yeah. Um, but the, the 2's more simulation-y. Like you can get, like you get your guns, get your guns, your guns can jam. <laughs> And right. like you get malaria and then you have to inject yourself with, you have to take malaria medication and stuff. Um, ah. It's kind of a bit, it's meant to be a bit more, it's a bit more hostile to the player mm. than the other Far Cry games that you very much have dominion over. But that game mm. has a diegetic map that you have to bring up. And David, you know, people were saying to me, you're you know on the back of a car looking at your map, and then somebody sh- starts shooting at you, and like, oh bloody, hell, I've got to put the map down, and it, I don't know. Oh, that's it's quite just, cool. It's just yeah, again, sounds like a very cool example. Um, I thought of the Metro Exodus map, which is a map with a compass that you have to I... pull out. Right, right, right. And again, because it's not to me, this shows you how this links to design because I haven't played as much of the game, but for me it feels like the the world's designed with the idea that it has landmarks in it that allow you to 
bring up a map and look at the map and say, oh, there's that thing and there's this thing, which you don't need to do necessarily if you've got a mini map. So yeah, that's got a map and a compass. Um, and then the last one um, in that vein of map and a compass was the one you said, Firewatch. Um, right. Which I... My opinion on Firewatch is quite unpopular, I think. I don't, because people love Firewatch, do they? Um, I... Yeah. Uh, Firewatch Let's have the, it. Fi- no, it, it, I... I I can't give it very well because of how bad my memory is, but right. <laughs> I know that So it does loads and loads of things that I really, really like. But my basic thing was it was that the way the story went and kind of the conclusion of it undercut all of the things about it that I thought were really interesting. But mm-hmm. um, I can't remember. I just remember it being I... really shitty ending that didn't make sense. And uh, yeah. But I, like ah. I, said, I don't remember things very well. So I mean, I my main, I think I quite liked the story. The main thing was that I was playing it, and I was actually recording it for some of the guys on um, listening to um, uh, the other podcasts I do on Twin Peaks. Mm. Um, and because um, I can't really remember why, I think when Firewatch came out, there was like some one person on the internet somewhere likened it to Twin Peaks, I think because it's got trees in it. (laughs) And um, for that reason, quite a few of us who are into Twin Peaks are all sort of playing it. And um, the main, my actual main memory of that game is having to get the map up and being so bad at navigating using a map and compass like you would in real life that every single time I had to check the map, it was like, I was like close to tears. I was like, okay, guys, I'm going to have to look at the map again. <laughs> I think it's going to be all right. And then, you know, looking at it, spending about five minutes agonising and then just wandering off in the wrong direction down a ravine immediately. But I like that, I think. That's one of the, <laughs> one of the aspects I like about it, that you can get, that mean, you can get lost. That is what would happen to me in the woods. So, you know, I, fair enough. <laughs> I have read, yeah, I've literally, I've literally done that. Uh, I've literally got lost, like, in on a, on a, on a hike before. I've, right. I've, I mean, I know you, you were saying you, you're not very good with maps. I mean, I have, no. I have an unusual confidence with maps considering how I get lost every time I try to navigate somewhere. <laughs> but that does happen. Like, and maps, not a guarantee that you're going to go the right way. Um, uh, absolutely so not. I, again, this, the idea is that, this uh this is wilderness it's difficult and um the f- uh, uh, and yeah having to use the map all the time and check and then realizing oh, i've gone down the wrong path that feels real and um that for me that enhances the uh, scenario you're supposed to be in and that enhances your connection to the game um so yeah, that's yeah. I think that's the thing with diegetic maps that they are you're using them in the way that you're familiar with the way that you use maps in real life. Um, and yeah, I think they're cool. I think that is actually true. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like the way I use maps in real life. It's just getting progressively more upset and lost. Yeah, there's there's one <laughs> there's one more I wanted to mention actually, which is um, Dreamfall Chapters. Which oh yeah. Is, uh, a kind of sequel to the longest journey point and clicks don't know if you have any i've never played any dreamfall games i'm aware they are much loved yeah so dreamfall chapters um the the city in it is uh really i'm talking about the the sci-fi city so it's split between two worlds like a sci-fi world and a fantasy world so Mm -hmm. you'd probably prefer the fantasy world and i prefer the sci-fi world yeah (laughs) fantastic i don't like the bits of the fantasy world i want to go back to the sci-fi one um but yeah the um the, so the city has uh map you know like uh, when c- cities have like a, a thing outside a train station or whatever with a map on it that says like yes. you are here yeah that's what this game has so it's very it's very small but um so you don't have a map that you can bring up and what i was talking about earlier of connecting you to the place you have to stop at the map look at the map and then you do what you do in real life okay i have to take the second right and then mm-hmm. i have to mm-hmm. so then you exit the map and then you have to do that so you're looking at the place and you're navigating the place like you would in real life and again that for me made me feel more connected to that place it made me feel like I knew the place better when I'd navigated it that way you'd still sometimes take a wrong turning and then go find another map and uh yeah I think that's another example of what I'm talking about that sounds really cool yeah so we talked a little bit about how the map kind of generates a sense of the world. The other thing that came to mind to me was like how it generates a sense of ourselves as a player or a person existing in that world. And I think we've touched on um, 
throughout is that the idea of the map is that it sort of speaks of confidence in some way. Like I was talking about with me thinking I know how to get somewhere because I've got the map and I'm in control, but then I get lost anyway. Exactly. Well, exactly. But yes, but having your hands on that map is a, is a hugely, you know, confidence inspiring thing. Um, the, the real life map that it made me think of was the map for the London Tube, which is the London underground system, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite a famous piece of design. Um, people sort of often list it as, you know, one of the great bits of design. Um, it's... Um, Certainly that for me, London is like a a, a huge, ridiculously huge, ridiculously sprawling, twisty, windy city. You know, it's been built over years and years and years. Um, But the thing with the tube map is that the way it's laid out makes you feel like... Like, I used to go out to London as a teenager when I was like 15 um, and go to the big top shop in Oxford Street. Uh, that was the thing lots of like me and my female friends used to do. And um, and look, even at the age of 15, like you really felt like you could handle London because of that map, because it really breaks it down for you. As long as you know the station you need to get off at, you don't really need to worry about the geography of London yeah. whatsoever. As long as you know north, south, east, west yeah. and you know, what what colours are, uh, you can make your way around London using that map. It is like this fantastic thing. And obviously people come to London from all over the world all the time, visiting all the time. And we, we you know, we always hope that um, that sense of confidence, that the first interaction that people have with London, this huge metropolis, is that, you know, I can handle this. Yeah. Um, and I think the map inspires that. And I think that's a really lovely thing. I do think it is a wonderful, wonderful piece of design. Um, so, yeah, in, in my head, London is a place connected by straight lines yes. between everywhere. <laughs> That's how I think of it. Like this, this is linked, this place is linked to here because it's just a series of straight lines. It's like, yeah, yeah. I have no idea how that. Um, corresponds to what's above the ground but that's what it feels like <laughs> absolutely none whatsoever i mean this is yeah i mean like if so i've been to oxford street um the other thing i would go and visit the british museum if you ask me where those two things are in relationship to each other those two parts of, i have not the foggiest they could be if you if you you're probably more likely to describe the tube yes. lines rather than yeah. the geography yeah 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 um and yeah. so yeah no it's it's a it's a really interesting um thing and and so so that inspires confidence, but the thing that um, then I would contrast it with, I mean, I guess in games, was um, it made me think of Dark Souls, which we've already touched on, um, mm-hmm. which is a world that you grow in confidence as you navigate it, but mm-hmm. the lack of a map actually is mechanically important, as we've said, because you get to know the world really, really well. But also I think it speaks, the fact that there are no maps in that world is wound really beautifully into the general kind of atmosphere and um, uh, kind of vibe of the world, which is that this is a world that is not confident in itself, does not really understand itself anymore. You know, it's sort of Dark Souls are taking place in worlds that are kind of growing foggy and vague, mm-hmm. where people are wandering around and they don't really know why they're there. Um, yeah. and, and the history of the world is kind of obscure and um and i think the lack of a map in that is um kind of fits with it and dark souls 2 is the one where this is really sort of showcased there's a character called um i think it's kale the cartographer um and he like everyone else has kind of forgotten who he is but he does sort of remember that he's very into maps he really loves maps um and he finds this map underneath the floor of a building um and it's like, you can barely see this thing. It's like this smudge on the ground. But, you know, he's just so in love with it. And again, it's like, yeah, this world cannot articulate itself. It cannot really describe itself anymore. It's kind of clinging to this ghost of when it used to be able to assert, this is what this, is what this world is. This is what it looks like. This is where its borders are. This is where, you know, the seats of power are. And all of that stuff is kind of fading away. And if you kill Kale the cartographer, which I don't know why you would do, um, but if you do, um, the last words he says is my map as he's kind of fading <laughs> away. And uh, yeah, I just think it speaks really beautifully of um, the whole atmosphere of Dark Souls, the kind of emotional atmosphere of the game. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's been a, a lot of love for maps here, but I think 
it would be cool if there were some more games that didn't have maps but i think to do i think a big like a really big budget like open world game like the witcher 3 or something like that not having a map would be really probably be really annoying in some instances and probably be I don't think it would be feasible to do in terms of no, like they wouldn't get through like no marketing department or like nobody's going to that through. It's not going to happen because it's it has the potential to be so alienating. But I think it would be really interesting uh, and powerful if somebody somehow did that. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see um, maybe a really, really good paper map and the option to disable all the maps in game. I think maybe you could balance it that way. Um, so that- well, you know, a lot of games do let you do that though, but to me, it's like what we were saying, then there's, I don't know. To me, I even the, the options there to do it, I don't do it because yeah. I just think this game's been designed in a certain way. This is the default. So that's how they've made the game yeah. to be played and it, it, you need for me if you're going to design a game like that it has to be designed from the outset with that in mind that they're yeah yeah no i mean i absolutely I see your pain as i say i've tried to play witcher 3 without the mini map not without the map at all uh because you still need to like open the map every five minutes to figure out where you're going but um it's 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 just a lot harder it's it's difficult um was it did it make it more compelling in any way or was it just annoying it's great it's really really good I, I would honestly recommend to people certainly not for a first playthrough but maybe when you're on number four <laughs> it is actually okay. really good but it's sl- much slower going like because you really mm. need to think about what you're doing and be like okay and then the road will branch off to the left and you know i'm gonna have to follow it that way um so you need to spend a lot more time in the um map on the pause menu uh, in order mm. to do it but but you do feel much more connected to the world so the, the the final thing that i wanted to talk about thinking about maps was to zoom out a bit and think of in what way games might be maps of a kind um which has led me to the idea of cognitive mapping uh which is an idea that comes from frederick jameson now, he explicitly says that cognitive maps should not be thought of as maps. So, oh. sorry, sorry, <laughs> Frederick. But sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, it, it is, uh, so, so this idea comes from him writing about the condition of postmodernity mm-hmm. and the idea that us as the postmodern subject, we have increasingly difficult, uh, having increasing difficulty situating ourselves within uh, the context that we're in. So this is partly to do with the idea of um, postmodernity as a as a condition of where everything is surface and like images are disconnected from their roots or history. They're just kind of floating things. He, he talks about general lack of or a loss of historiosity. Right. So he point he points to things like neo noir, neo this, neo that, like the return of. Uh, just these these styles all floating around yes things are kind of like radically decontextualized yes yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. exactly that so we kind of left um alienated and without um any sense of uh history and this, this feeds into a general thing of us being in a world um, which is global capitalism which is so complex that it's impossible to uh, comprehend it in its totality but nevertheless we need to do that in some way yes. if we're going to um, address its problems so it's kind of thinking around like how, we can't conceive of this totality we're, we're lost like how can we start to do that and cognitive mapping is a idea that's there to address that which is that fictional representations provide us a way of grasping um, like a political or economic social totality so they through their they don't actually represent like capitalism in its complete and total complexity but it's a representation that nevertheless gives us some truths around it and allows us to understand it and the idea is that we can start to orientate ourselves within it or like situate ourselves within it in some way now obviously games are a form of fiction he's he's talking more about um 
I think he's primarily talking about literature. That's mm-hmm. his um, like main thing. And I'm th- not sure if he does it when he originally talks about cognitive mapping, but Frederick Jameson um, uh, has written quite a bit about science fiction. Right. He's written a book called Archaeologies of the Future. So I think he's quite often thinking about that because science fiction is quite often about capitalism and some form or other. But anyway... Uh, video games are, are often are um, also a form of fiction, and mm. so I think we can think of them as being uh, a form of cognitive mapping. Uh, they are representations that present our world back to us in some form, and perhaps give us a way of trying to comprehend it or orientate ourselves within it. So, yeah, I thought there's a way we can also think about games as being a kind of of map. I think that's. I just saw. I saw that idea in your notes, and I. I didn't hadn't heard of cognitive mapping or any of that. Um, but I thought immediately how well that speaks to the kind of things we've been talking about about the feeling that you can handle the world, right? Mm-hmm. The map. The map does give you that feeling. It is a way of um asserting some kind of sense of um, uh orientation here I am here is where I'm going and why just you know receiving maps from from power um you know we we do a lot of that but actually you know thinking actually you can you can produce these kinds of things and actually you know various modes of of um fiction can produce these things for us that can actually make the world more manageable reduce stress make it more livable for us um is uh, I think that's a lovely idea yeah okay so that is um, maps. Wonderful. Uh, uh, hope you have all enjoyed this. And if you have any maps that come to mind that we we haven't talked about, then um, yeah, please let us know. Um, you can find us on Twitter at getobjectpod, and you can email us um, on the, the same um, handle getobjectpod at gmail Absolutely. Yeah. And also any suggestions for objects that you would like to hear covered uh, in in the future. Yeah. Or just games that you're playing and you think are cool and you want to hear our opinions or something, whatever you'd like to talk about about games, it'd be good to hear from you. Um, And obviously, if you've enjoyed this, if you could give us a review or a rating or whatever you're using to listen to this, that would be really, really helpful. Um, as, As we mentioned in episode one, we're going to record three episodes before we start releasing. So if you do send us something, it might be uh, another couple of episodes before we address it. Um, That's why. So after episodes three is out, then we can start to respond more in a real time kind of thing. Um, Yeah. So for our next episode, we are going to be talking about gore. our first keys and maps are very clean and neat and they are aren't they they're hygienic yeah gore not so much (laughs) so this is gonna be yeah bit of a different direction extremely metal next time um yeah looking forward to getting into that one okay so yeah do join us for gore next time um but i think that is us for now thank you very much for listening bye-bye bye